again. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Todd. Hi, Mark. How are you? I am okay. I'm ready to fill my fill one of my love tanks with doing a podcast <laughs> and turn my frown upside down. Upside down. You know, you know who else has turned their frown upside down? Who's that? The CEO of IKEA. Oh wow. Uh, he turns out that he has been elected as prime minister of Sweden. And uh, really? He's busy right now. He's assembling his cabinet. <laughs> It'll be a while. I saw it a half second before I got there, and it was still very, very rewarding. Oh, that was fantastic. Well, welcome to another episode of the Mark and Todd cast in person. In person. Which is very exciting. I'm not used to hearing the opening theme song in stereo like that, because it's usually squashed over a Zoom call. So that was that was fun. I listened to the whole thing, just like everybody else does when they listen to our of course, podcast. Of course. <laughs> Every time. Every single episode. <laughs> so how listeners want to know, Mark, since we have not recorded a podcast in three a, blue moons. A long time. Yeah. Uh what's been going on? What's anyway? been going on? So um I think I we did one episode. We did a Portland at the movies too. Oh, explain. yeah. So we haven't done, a, done. Uh, we haven't done a port we haven't done a market podcast since in like before six the weeks. Incident. Oh wow. <laughs> so uh we had a couple delays because I moved uh, from one house to another, and it turns out that the last five minutes of the last day of the move, um, I broke two bones in my ankle, uh, which then was followed up by uh, surgery with a plate and ten screws all together, and then um, uh, and we have just been waiting for bone cells to grow and um and do all that and so wow uh it's going well the healing process is going well i have purchased everything that (laughs) you can to be a convalescent at home and um i'm incredibly lucky i'm looking at your gigantic uh easy easy chair easy easy lift lazy boy chair yeah it's pretty fantastic we got that off offer up uh super cheap oh wow nice it looks uh, new it's it's Somebody convalesced, barely, I guess, and didn't barely, use. Yes, it's, it's <laughs> it. works. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it goes from fully reclined to pretty much standing up uh, using a little electric winch system, and uh, it's awesome. And you've got one of the adjustable beds. I have an adjustable bed. We had that before. <laughs> we didn't buy the bed for my convalescence, but... It's been a great help, and yeah. but um, you've had to stay completely off one of your zero weight off of my right right ankle and right foot, and so it's literally anything that requires you to step down with both feet. I can't do, and so isn't it amazing how uh, often you need to do that. Like that's yes. what struck me when I had my broken foot. It's like oh, I use both of them all, all the time. The time, <laughs> just like stepping into the shower yep. is 
the most perilous moment of my week, basically. I had to I take never a, want to take a shower. I had to take a bath with my leg, try to <laughs> draped over the side of the tub. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I bought a really cool, it's a plastic sleeve with a rubber grommet over the, yeah. And so that's kept my dry, like dry. So I've got one more week of still need to keep it dry. Okay. Uh, in a week I'll be able to take off the little suture strips uh, and strips and, um, and so those screws are just in you forever, right? In me forever. Are they titanium? What are they made out of? I, that is the question that everybody has asked, and I failed to ask the doctor. Yeah, and I'm, so sure, I'm sure it's got to be something like that. It's stainless. It's clearly oh, either stainless true. or titanium. And so uh, gold. I know that the rep of the hardware was in the room during the operation. Oh, wow. And so they Is it like <clears throat> a, a new model they were <laughs> so like, hoping wouldn't explode when yeah, they put it in? They they do that to minimize uh, risk of, of things. But, you know, there's... Each screw has its own little torque. Is he and there for system. all of them? I think so. Like, yeah. And I, see, I used to have a roommate who was a rep for like hip implants. Okay. And he was by trade a surgical nurse. Wow. And so that's how he got the job. So he could be in surgery in in that room. That's and so interesting. Offer. Because you know, it seems like expertise. what surprised me is that like, so you broke it and then like, Already just a week or a week and a half later, you were having surgery on it, right. which seems like it's super routine and stuff like that. But then to think if somebody else has got to be there every single there one of them. There were so many people in the operating room, like 12 to 15 at least wow. uh, were, were in there. And it's also a training school. And so okay. uh, you had all of the first line people that are part of it. And then you have like two other layers of instructees that are in various stages of the learning process to be doctors and support staff. And uh, it, so it was fascinating. Yeah. So like the surgeon had his PA and his other surgeon and this for a two and a half hour surgery. Wow. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy. Well, I'm glad you're getting better, but yeah, it's, it sucks to slow, not be mobile. So, (laughs) well, should we read some stories here? Indeed. All right. Well, we've been kind of talking about this every now and then, but there's going to be a release of 1 billion exterminator mosquitoes. Uh, So workers place boxes of uh, mosquito eggs and they'll repeat the process over a couple months in Florida and release about 144,000 mosquitoes overall. The project uh, marks the first time GMO mosquitoes have ever been released in the U.S. and it's an attempt to curve the spread of dengue, zinca, and yellow fever. Um, the idea is that GMO mosquitoes will lower the population of a certain type of mosquito that spreads these insect-borne diseases. But and this was interesting. Although that variety of mosquitoes only makes up 4% of the total population of mosquitoes, they caused 70, oh, 70 cases. I thought that was 70%. Oh. Uh, 70 cases of dengue fever just in Key Largo last year. Huh. Um, so only the females bite, of course. Um, the scientists created the GMO mosquitoes, which they call OX5034. <laughs> To produce female offspring that die off as larvae. Uh, The company behind it is called Oxitec. Hopes that the bugs will mate with the female ones. Uh, Since the female offspring can't survive long enough to reproduce, it will reduce the population. They hope, anyway. Oxitec claims this method is safe and environmentally friendly. However, 
2019 Yale study also warned that the plan could backfire. Those scientists found that while most female offspring of the GMO bugs die off, between 3 and 4% of them survive, and it's not clear if they're infertile. So that means if they're um, mating, then they can create hydra- hybrid babies that can be resistant to insecticide and wild mosquitoes that awesome. worsen the <laughs> disease. We just don't learn, do we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is cane toads all over again. Cane toads all over again. So um, I went down a rabbit hole recently of following the trail of why does Disney World, located in right in the heart of Florida, not have a mosquito problem? Oh. What do they do? And I've been to I've been to the park and uh, Epcot and and all that, and never once thought of yeah. a mosquito. And it's not a problem with their parks. Uh, what they do is aggressively deal with stagnant water, and so there is no stagnant water in Buena Vista right. Lake region, uh, which is a marsh, <laughs> uh, and so they literally had to. You know, put a pile on, you know, uh, dikes and drain the marsh. I don't think we're supposed to call them that. (laughs) I think they're they're workers just like everyone else, Mark. (laughs) And uh, the uh, so any fountain, any lake, any anything has a fountain in it. Okay. To keep the water moving because the larva can't they they survive in stagnant water. Yeah. And so if the water's moving, they can't stay there and i just put out um i kind of built myself a bird bath and which is just sitting water right now which is not only just getting full of algae but just a (laughs) uh, literal breeding ground for mosquitoes so i ordered i'm sure it's gonna be cheap and not work but i ordered like a really cheap um solar solar fountain thing to see to see if that works and then like 10 minutes after i ordered that sarah our friend sarah was like oh i've got one of those do you want one i'm like well "Well, after this one inevitably breaks right away then i will (laughs) i will take yours uh, well, a farmer accidentally moved a border stone with his tractor and made Belgium bigger. <laughs> so the boundary between France and Belgium is believed to have been redrawn. Uh, the Belgian farmer could theoretically face criminal charges after making Belgium bigger by moving the stone that has marked the border since the defeat of Napoleon in the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, so there was a local amateur historian. <laughs> so Mark, w- Mark was walking around and... <laughs> Notice that the village was 2.29 meters too small. While I was metal detecting with a magnet tied to my ass. <laughs> so, yes, he moved it out of, uh, out of the way and moved his fence as well. So David Laveau, the major, the mayor of Equalise, which I'm assuming is pronounced exactly like that in France, uh, pointed out that the farmer was legally ab- ab- obliged to move this border stone back, um, blah, blah, blah. So it shouldn't be an issue, but um, apparently the border was in his way. <laughs> by and seven and a half feet. By seven and a half feet. That's great. So he'll, he will have to have to move that back to avoid an international incident. So, <laughs> uh, Well, moving on to things far more scary. <laughs> In local news. In local news. Uh, the creation of first human monkey embryos sparks concern. So in the latest advanced researchers in the U.S. and China announced that they made embryos that combined human and monkey cells for the first time. Soon, so, so far, these, phrase of the week, human monkey chimeras are 
are no more than budding uh, uh, bundles of budding cells in a lab dish, but the implications are um, um, much much bigger. Dire, <laughs> dire, <laughs> freakish, and terrifying. Um, so from Duke University's uh, quote, a remarkable step has been taken scientifically that raises urgent issues of public concern. And we need to figure out what the right pathway is uh, to help guide these responsible uh, progresses. So they scientists have been creating part, partly human chimeras for years. So there's this article <laughs> freaking me out that I've not heard of them before. Uh, researchers use rats with human tumors to study cancer, for example, and mice with human immune systems. And mice with human immune systems, yeah, <laughs> to conduct to conduct AIDS research. Uh, what makes the latest ex- uh, experiment unique is that the scientists injected human stem cells, which can become any kind of tissue, into an embryo closely related to a, uh, to us uh, as a primate. To make them, researchers injected human stem cells uh, into a hundred. That's why I pulled the story. One hundred thirty-two embryos from macaque. Monkeys. Six days after the monkey embryos had been created, researchers injected each one with 25 human stem cells labeled with a fluorescent red protein. Oh, this is just getting better. We just put them together in a Petri dish to see how they interact with one another. It says Juan Carlos, Carlos Ispizua, is, is Pizua? Belmonte, the director of the Salk Gene Expression Laboratory. Uh, the next day, the monkey embryo embryos glowed human cells had become integrated into all of them far more effectively than previous experiments with embryos from other species like pigs so far the human monkey chimeras can't survive longer than 19 days quote it's never been in our attention uh, so uh you'll see more and i don't know why i did that it, it, the document that we're using puts put this huge blank spot that is not a picture or anything but is still just like so after I read this next sentence, then you can scroll, scroll oh, down. Three pages, right? Quote, it's never been our intention and never will be to create a living chimera in, in a monkey host, says the doctor. And then they show this terrifying picture of supervillain doctor, b- baldy Lex Luthor glowering over a microscope, <laughs> which made me laugh. Um, so anyway, lots of dilemmas. Um, uh, being brought up, but it sounds like at least they're trying to address them before things get a little any more any more uh, <clears throat> experimental. Let's say um, they discover that within a year, the human cells they put into some mice had taken over the mouse brains. So what? the standardized test for mouse memory and then and cognition then showed the altered mice were smarter. So this is like uh, there's a movie called. Flowers for Algernon. Flowers for Algernon. No, um, oh dang, Nabbit. But it's where this guy, um, Monkey Shines, it's called an old horror movie where they put uh, this guy, much like you, Mark, becomes invalid and has to not use his legs and gets a monkey helper. And they do some sort of back alley experiment where they put some of the guy's brain cells into the helper monkey. And then the helper monkey becomes, you know, to know him better and to be more whatever. And then the monkey goes crazy and like kills everyone. Oh, um, um, can you can you apply for a monkey helper? I I think I can. I will. (laughs) Um, Is that one called Curious George? (laughs) <laughs> Curious George, the helper monkey. <laughs> helper monkey. Man with a yellow hat. Uh, anyway, so yes, terrifying human-monkey hybrids from, I think I'll use this guy as our, as our thumbnail, <laughs> thumbnail for this week's show. <laughs> totally. 
Um, this isn't really an article, but uh, one of the things is Cameron Books Downtown, Books and Mag- Cameron's Books and Magazine in downtown Portland is closing after 80 years, which was kind of surprising because I thought it shut down like two years ago. I feel like it, it did, but then somebody rescued it there was a big gate in front of it for a while yeah yeah so So. anyway that's a huge bummer old magazine and bookstores like that are super cool so i hope more of them survive um another monkey story starring macaque (laughs) macaque monkeys uh so new research involving uk scientists have found that rhesus macaque living in cayo santiago puerto rico made more friends and became more tolerant of each other after a major hurricane um, they were studying the, uh, the monkeys known as Monkey Island when Hurricane Maria hit, uh, killing more than 3,000 people. The team said they noticed the creatures suddenly seemed more tolerant of other individuals, including former competitors in the aftermath of the storm. The uh, professor said we expected the monkeys would use their closest allies to cope with the ecological, ecological devastation of the hurricane and so would invest in their existing relationships. Instead, Macaque expanded their social networks and the number of individuals that they tolerated sharing limited resources, like a shady place to sit, they said. Um, so yeah, they came instead of, instead of a big disaster dividing all the monkeys or whatever, they reached out and increased their social connection because they realized that it was um, vital to all of their survival. Um, are they socialist? Like <laughs> why? How? Clearly, I've been these, told that socialism is evil. Clearly, these monkeys need to have capitalism <laughs> introduced <laughs> to their society. Um, there's one other sentence that made me laugh in here. Now I can't. Uh, it said the attack, uh, macaques expanded their social networks and blah, blah, blah. Um, well, now I can't find it. Anyway, it was another hilarious. Oh, Camille Testard, a PhD student at the University of Pennsylvania in the U.S., said macaque extended its network to exclude more partners. To include more partners. Yes. So macaque will include more partners, hopefully in the future. (laughs) I'm 12. (laughs) I'm not going to read this whole thing because it got uh, really thick into the weeds, but it was an interesting thing, especially after we talked about, we've talked about false memories a couple times on this show. And so uh, there's been a study where scientists implanted and then reversed false memories. So uh, we've seen how... Implanting false recollections through suggestions have run rampant through things like the criminal justice system and false confessions and allegations. But for the first time in realistic uh, setting, the fa- uh, the research team showed that it's possible to implant false memories and then reverse them. Um, so they kind of went through the process how they, they used 52 young adult volunteers, it says. So kids uh, with the hall with their parents and implanted memories into them. And then they figured out that the new memories and old memories were stored in different places. And so those new implanted memories that they thought they had, instead of being in the old memories file, it was associated with the people who told them. So it was Uh easier to kind of, Oh, remember when we were sitting in that room and we were talking about, so they were able to like, Okay, kind of extracted themselves from that. So there was a yeah, a couple of different ways that they did that, which mm. was uh, kind of interesting. So, but I know this story is a couple of weeks old, but I just been dying to read it because it yeah. is just so wonderful. Hundreds of people showed up in Nebraska for the pool noodle fight na- over the name Josh. So. It all started a year ago when the pandemic boredom set in and Josh Swain, a 22-year-old college student from 
Tucson, Arizona, messaged others who shared his name on his social media and challenged them to a duel. And then it went viral and then kind of became a thing. And then so he organized at a local park thinking that like, well, who's going to show up in the middle of Nebraska or whatever? And so hundreds of people showed up in Air Park in Lincoln, which I saw on a Google Maps is now like Josh Memorial Park or something like that, which is awesome. Uh, the festivity started with a grueling and righteous battle of rock, paper, scissors between the dro- the Josh Swain from Arizona and another Josh Swain from Omaha. Um, the, they reported that the Arizona student won that competition, allowing him to claim the title of the true, the true Josh Swain. Yeah, they were all battling over who who would be the, the true Josh Swain and be able to use it. Um, the pool noodle competition that followed was open to anyone with the first name of Josh. The victor of that was a four-year-old Lincoln native, Josh Vincent Jr., who was coronated with a Burger King crown. So uh, the organizer, Josh Swain, not to be confused with the winner, Josh Swain. Josh Swain, it's starting to sound like a schwa in my mouth, uh, said he was surprised that the whole thing blew up. I did not expect people to be as adamant about it as they are now. So I remember it was about a month or so ago that this was kind of all happening, and it was just so fun to see the buildup and then the final the final battle of the Josh Swains. So all the Joshes, all the Joshes. So and that's all I had. Cool. That's great. What, what I thought we would talk about today, we've, we've talked about the Bernoulli principle before. Yeah. And, uh, the Bernoulli principle is basically when the speed of a fluid increases, the pressure goes down. So I thought we'd just refresh a little bit on that and see how that works to do things like airplane lift, curveballs thrown by pitchers, and uh, sailboats. Like how how a sailboat can can drive into the wind. Yeah, uh, seems crazy. And um, and also and also the ping pong ball on top of the hairdryer. Ping pong ball on top of the hairdryer. Exactly. (laughs) Which. Uh, many times we've seen that in um, storefronts where they'll have a fan with a little beach ball oh, right. uh, uh, going uh, in, in the beach ball. So um, the easiest way to visualize the, the core, core principle is to see a pipe with water flowing through it that starts maybe as a three-inch pipe and then goes down to a one-inch pipe and then goes up to a two-inch pipe. So big pipe, little pipe, medium pipe. And if we were flowing water through that pipe and to measure the pressure at each of those points, we would find the highest pressure at the widest, uh, at the three-inch pipe, because the water is flowing the slowest, and then it goes to the one-inch pipe, flows much faster the pressure goes down and then uh the water uh goes into the two inch pipe slows down a little bit the pressure goes up a little bit that seems anti it seems anti everything i stand for it seems opposite yes but basically what you're doing is you're converting that uh that that pressure is effectively kinetic energy if you will okay. and, and we're not converting the pressure into flow and uh I'm, I'm not trying to say that uh but 
the the core principle boils down to this one diagram. Like okay. if you understand this, then you can understand any of those other topics of why this works. Cause it does seem weird as pressure goes up or a velocity goes up of the fluid. You would think it's it feels higher like pressure, higher pressure, right. but, but it's actually a lower, uh, lower static pressure. And so we have something called the Magnus effect. When I throw not me personally, but when a professional baseball player throws a baseball with a wicked spin on it through the air, you have two main points of conflict with that ball and the air. One side of the ball is moving towards the air and the relative velocity between that surface of the ball and the air is going to be twice as much as the other side which is moving with the air and so the the speed the relative speed between the air and the surface of the ball is much lower okay on one side right than the other okay and so with pressure being higher on one side and pressure being lower on the other side that higher pressure pushes the ball towards the lower pressure. Okay. And it's only using that same Bernoulli effect uh, correlation between the speed of the fluid and the static pressure. So it's not the ball itself that's... The ball isn't moving itself. The air... Which sounds like a weird distinction, but it's right. not like you're not throwing the ball. You couldn't you couldn't do that in space, for example. Uh, oh, you okay. couldn't throw a curveball in space. <laughs> sounds like a challenge. <laughs> it does sound like a challenge. Or like the The only way that you could is uh using gravi- gravity as the sling uh, oh, sure, you know, mechanism. Sure. So you could <laughs> You can't throw a curveball in space. Sounds like a like a like a bad uh biography or something like that, like by Woody Allen or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So that, yeah, that makes sense that one, since one, one side of the ball is quote unquote going with the wind and the other is coming back against it, that that would make that difference like that. Right. And so we have a very similar, well, not look at that one, uh, not that one yet, but we have a similar situation with an aircraft wing. Yeah. And so an aircraft wing is kind of shaped like a teardrop, except one side is more flat than the other. And if we look at a, the side view of a wing going through the air, we have the top of the foil of, of the wing has a longer distance because it's got a big hump in the, in the teardrop shape. And the bottom is effectively flat or shortened from that. And so the fluid traveling on the bottom side of the wind uh, of the wing is traveling a shorter distance per unit time right and the fluid on the top of the wing is going a longer distance per unit time which is speed and so the air on the top of the wing is faster than the air on the bottom of the wing which gives you a difference in pressure and so the bottom of the wing has a higher pressure and it pushes the wing up. Right. And this is also seen in uh, sailboats. So the 
if we took a sailboat and looked at it from top down, the sail bows out in one direction that is the top of the airfoil and the other side is the bottom of the airfoil that has some stagnant air in it that that makes the top of the airfoil go faster, the bottom of the airfoil goes slower, you've got a difference in pressure, the boat gets pushed in that direction. And so I, I was thinking about that a little bit more and going, can a sailboat travel in 360 degrees? Yeah, because I mean, there's two when you think of sailboats or whatever, sometimes you think of like the old pirate boats where it's like a direct catch. You're holding up a laundry sheet or whatever on a wagon and being pulled by the wind. But then sailboats, I guess the sails are lined up like that with the boat and not they catch the wind, I guess, in a different way by not catching it. Totally. So a sailboat cannot drive directly into the wind exactly uh uh, and it needs to go at an angle and i've got a really weird uh polar chart here and the polar chart is like it's summoning demons (laughs) it's the direction of the wind relative to the boat and the effect of speed given everything else the same and so at zero degrees if i'm going directly into the wind that's called dead ironed and you can't move at all uh and there's no angle for the wind to catch around the sail okay it just shoots straight across the sail uh straight up the sail and there's no foil to be developed there and so it can't travel at all and so dead ironed you're dead in the water so when one of the another example of bernoulli's principle of differential air pressure is like when you get a long strip of paper yep and you put it under your mouth and blow on it and it lifts the paper up totally so that's the sail sideways then right exactly and so the sail sideways is the maximum benefit and so uh you can go if the wind is directly at your tail uh but it's much better if the wind is going directly sideways, it catches the most amount of the airfoil and creates the most amount of lift. But you from... go you go straight, which would be perpendicular to the wind? Yes. Oh, I don't like that at all. Uh, right? <laughs> but that's where the maximum effectiveness of the wing shape... Is that... Of... All, that also must be how windsurfers... Yeah. Surfing works. A hundred percent. Yeah. The way where they push perpendicular. Exactly. Oh, weird. I never really thought about that before. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so, so if they're getting a direct tailwind or a direct headwind, you're just dead they're, in the water. they're mostly dead in the water. Uh, you can go a little bit with a tailwind, but not much. That makes more sense now because every time I, I see windsurfing, which you around here, you do tons, especially in the gorge and stuff yeah. like that. And, um, I always think in my head, how in the world can you hold up a giant sail against the wind, you know, thinking that it's like the blanket analogy, right. the pirate ship analogy, where you're trying to struggle against the wind to hold right. it up. And you're not. But, you're, it's, but the wind is holding the sail. The wind is holding the sail up. Uh, to to uh, some to degree. degree. Right. Yeah. You are providing uh, that, re- and, that resistance and uh, of, of it, but it's not a... 
one to one match. It's right. you're doing it at a ninety degrees from okay. uh, the ideal position. Yeah. Boy, that's weird to think about. It really all these things, you know, like the the curveball and the they. Um, I've been playing as you arrived. I was playing the flight simulator, yeah. which I think is incredible because of the scenery packs. But I always get into the mindset of like how lift works when you're dealing with airplanes and parachutes and and, yeah. and sails and and all that. And it is such a uh, a mind-bending little uh, phenomenon, and, yeah. and so I wanted to talk it out, and, and it wasn't to be a, a huge topic today because yeah. we had a bunch of news, and so I thought we'd just focus on using lift practically for these different things, which all bears on the Bernoulli's principle. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I used to teach in my mad science classes. We had a, a little Bernoulli section where it was more about how things like to be even like air likes to be even. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, why it lifts the plane up because there's an empty pocket above Mm -hmm. the wing that's being filled in by the bottom or whatever. And so I draw three boxes and then there was a, there's a full box of water on one side and one without water on the other side or whatever. And how eventually when they're all connected, they will even each other out because nature abhors a vacuum. It hates (laughs) it. It does. So, ah, it's so great. And, there are no curveballs in space. That's what I'm naming this episode. <laughs> Except by gravity. <laughs> There's an asterisk <laughs> after it. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Well, good. And a nice slight breeze, which you're hearing in the background, which is kind of nice. It's a very spring, spring-feeling show, hearing that nice it air is. outside. Yeah, it's been we, so nice. The, uh, the plants in the backyard have been blooming. We've, we've now got some... Uh, of the hummingbirds and everything nice. is, is very and I'm, I'm surrounded here at your house by carnivorous plants too, uh, which is uh, Nick got them from his friend, your friends yeah. who, ha- who are, so he's babysitting them and they're all look amazing. And so that's why I was like, well, I don't think they can grow here. And then fell down the rabbit hole realizing, <laughs> Oh, they can grow here. They can love grow. it here. So that's why I got mine. Yeah. But yeah, they're really, really little, cool. Freaky little things. Have you have you seen the uh, coffee ta- coffee table book on? Um, oh on oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, on the carnivorous carnivorous yeah plants. just with the beautiful pictures of yeah. all the different yeah. all the different kinds. Me and Nick are gonna have a date at one of these days to go down to the carnivorous plant farm. <laughs> um, there's one other thing I was gonna ask you about, but I don't remember. I don't either. I don't either. Well, it was so nice to get back Indeed. into doing this. And thank you for everyone else for being patient while you wait for us to uh, release new episodes, but we're always glad to do it. It's so fun to do. My tank has been filled Yay. a little bit, so yeah. now I will go. Let's get back in the flow of this. Yes, pick up, pick up. I'm off to pick up my firewood at the bottom of a hill that I'm going to have to drag up a hill and take back to my house like the little scavenger dung beetle that I am. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Oh. I was looking at this thinking that <laughs> this is where usually your memory card goes and it's just like laying loose on the table, but it is indeed I did. in the thing. I did so. transfer the card. Cool. cool, cool. Well, 
we will talk to everyone later. Thank you for listening. You'll be hearing something as we go away. So <laughs> bye. Oh, uh, listen to Portland at the movies. We did uh, last week. Mark had an awesome surprise and surprised us with the main star of the movie we were talking about. Thankfully, before we trashed the movie too much, too much. but he ended up being an amazing really? guest and like super, super great and had some really cool Sean insights. Sean McGrath. So, um, yeah, so that was cool. Go listen to that. Uh, other than that, we will see you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.